welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast, where two buddies from college review and preview Penn State football and the big college games. Okay, it's time for kickoff. Hello and welcome to the Caleb and Phil Football Podcast. My name is Caleb. I will be one of your co-hosts today. Phil, how are you? Caleb, I am feeling resilient today and I'm feeling resilient because this is our third attempt to uh, get our podcasting recording software to play nice for us, but uh, I'm glad it's working well. Got a big weekend happening. I'm driving five hours north up and uh, up near Akron, Ohio in a place called Stowe where I'm speaking at a, at a pretty big ed conference. Very excited about that. Very excited also because today was election day, and so we have a lot of local elections uh, coming up in our area, some that I'm pretty invested in from knowing a few of the candidates. That's one of the cool parts about living in rural Virginia. You get to know a lot of the people. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see who of my friends are going to pull out some W's, and uh, we'll see how it goes from there. How about you? How's the baby doing? Um, She's doing good, eating a lot. Um, so it's a little tiring for Becca, but you know, we still enjoy her obviously. Um, and she's been great for us overall. So we're still having a good time, even if we're a little tired. Yeah. She looks very awake now. And yeah, she's been doing better with keeping her eyes open longer. Nice. So, Hey, Caleb, looking at, uh, looking ahead at, at football things, uh, I want to talk about an NFL team here and I, and I only want to talk about them because of the implications that will be in play for a couple or for one, maybe multiple college football players. The Miami Dolphins, it's been discussed among a lot of groups that their organization has developed their franchise so that they are intentionally tanking this year so that they can get the first overall pick or not. Whether or not that's true is another story, but that's the way that it looked for a while. They're able to pull off a big win this weekend over the New York Jets, which means Chances are Miami may not have the first overall pick. And they thought people thought that they were tanking the Tua Tagovailoa. I am curious what your thoughts are on this. With with the Dolphins actually winning a game, you know, let's say they don't get the first overall pick. Do you think Tua still goes number one? Or do we think Chase Young? I don't know. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting. The weird part is almost all of these really crappy teams in the NFL play each other this year. The Dolphins, you know, they just beat the Jets, obviously. They play them again because they're in the division. They, mm-hmm. they played to the Redskins earlier. That's the Redskins' only win so far this year. The Bengals are winless, but they play the Dolphins and the Jets later on, in the, or at least the Dolphins, maybe not the Jets. They play one of those, at least one of those teams later on this year, too. The Giants have the Jets coming up so these teams almost have to win because they're all playing each other so it does make the race for number one a little more complicated I've always wondered too with um, Trevor Lawrence being the hot name and him coming out a year later if the Dolphins plan was ultimately get some good players this year since they have I think three first round picks this year Mm -hmm. and then get Trevor Lawrence hopefully the year after that with the number one overall pick whether they have to do some more trades to get the to help their odds get a number one pick or just go 0-16 next season instead of this year. I don't know what their plan is, but we'll see because if you look at a lot of these teams, it seems like that's the way to do it. Get some of the other talent around the quarterback first and then get the quarterback too so he's not going in there with absolutely no talent and no chance to win whatsoever. And get him on that rookie contract. That way you can uh, pay to get a lot of talent. But, you know, aside from Miami sticking in Florida, uh, big news coming out of Florida State. Now, I had read an article earlier 
that Kirk Herbstreit had given up on Florida State because of their attitude, because of the culture that's being uh, that's existing in Tallahassee. Well, what you know, at Willie Taggart, not even two seasons into his position as head coach of Florida State, gets fired. Initial reactions to that? Yeah, first off, we didn't even mention the Miami Florida State game last week that well, that just happened. You know, we didn't preview it at all on anything. I feel like it it's shows goes to show how kind of irrelevant those two teams have become over the last three to four years that we didn't even talk about the game for even one of their sakes, at least because neither team was ranked. I think they were both just four and four going into the year. And yeah, Willie Taggart, unfortunately, just got fired. There are some reports out there that we don't know if they're true or not that they had boosters raise $20 million in order to pay his buyout fee. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know if uh, Jimbo Fisher left at a just at a good time, if he kind of just left that place in shambles for a reason or not, but he definitely got out there at the, definitely at the right time, and Willie Taggart kind of had to fall on the sword for Florida State. We'll see if they can recover from this. Miami still hasn't recovered from all of their coaching changes recently, so we have seen some of these high-profile programs, and USC included in there kind of too, that – if you don't get the right coach, it can kind of set you back for maybe even a decade. Yeah, it matters a lot. And fortunately, it seems like Minnesota's found the guy that they need. P.J. Fleck gets a seven-year extension, good through 2026 with Minnesota. Definitely seems very deserving. You know, Minnesota's on this hot streak right now. A lot of big wins, or, or maybe not big wins, but a lot of consecutive wins is what I should say. Uh, and starting Minnesota off to the best season they've had, Ooh, I and I don't even know how long, but but in a long time. So good for PJ Fleck and um, minus this upcoming Saturday. All the best to the Minnesota Gophers. Yeah, definitely a good time for them to sign a PJ Fleck. As we already have one opening in Florida State, the rumors are maybe. Um, Michigan will be uh, opened up after this year, depending on how Jim Harbaugh finishes out his tenure. We've heard heard some rumors that uh, Brian Kelly might be on the outs on Notre Dame. Maybe he might be go to Michigan if Harbaugh leaves. USC job seems like it could be open at the end of the year. So there's definitely some high-profile jobs that are going to be available for, um, for P.J. Fleck to have if he wanted them, but good for Minnesota to get him locked up. Absolutely. Uh, hey, one quick thing before we get started with our NCAA recap. Caleb, you, know, you and I both know this. We are recording this on Election Day, and besides it being Election Day, it is also the first college football playoff rankings. As we are recording this, the results of the committee's first decision are going to come out as we're recording. So we're going to visit that a little bit later in the show once we get them all uh, set up. So uh, you know, make sure that if you're listening, you listen the whole way through because we've got some thoughts. We're pretty sure we know who's going to be the top four, uh, but you know, just hang out with us and and pay close attention. Uh, sorry, that's my teacher voice coming out there. But we think we have some worthwhile things to share. Uh, and on that note, Caleb, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to recap week nine. Yep, let's get to it. Or sorry, week ten. I think. Sorry, I forgot to update that in the outline. Ooh, but um, man. yep. As we always, we start with those upsets. First off, Thursday night football. Looked like two teams may have gotten upset. Unfortunately, Appalachian State was the one victim as they lose to Georgia Southern 24-21. Georgia Southern, all they did was run the ball. 56 rush attempts for 335 yards and all three touchdowns were on the ground. They only threw four passing attempts, just completing one for 16 yards. 
Zach Thomas, the quarterback for Appalachian State, 25 of 51, so under 50%, 271, all three touchdowns through the air, 62.4 QBR. App State trailed 24 to 7 entering the fourth quarter, so they did try to mount a comeback, just fell short. Both teams missed a field goal, so Appalachian State, though, will be thinking about theirs a little bit more as a field goal would have been able to tie the game and force overtime and maybe keep their undefeated season alive. You hate to see it. Zach Thomas, probably one of the top quarterbacks that Appalachian State has had in in recent history uh, or in history. You know, he he throws three touchdowns. He is underneath a 50% completion, but if you're asking him to throw the ball or if you're asking the quarterback to throw the ball over 40 times in general, that's a Getting close to 50 is, is pretty impressive. Uh, also, big bummer, Ted Roof, and we mentioned this before, former defensive coordinator for Penn State is the defensive coordinator for Appalachian State. You'd like to see those former Penn State guys do well, depending on the circumstances, and, and Ted Roof and his circumstance at Appalachian State is definitely one that I am rooting for him in. Uh, yeah, you hate to see it, especially losing to a team like Georgia Southern after Appalachian State is the first Sun Belt team to win a ranked game. They win a second Win, or they win a second game as a ranked team, and they're getting ready to win their third, uh, but couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. No, could not get the get the W. Next game we got going on here: number eight Georgia beating number six Florida, twenty four to seventeen. While the ranking is an upset, the um, I think Georgia was favored in the game, so mm-hmm. whether you can call that an upset or not, it's up to you. Jake Fromm had a great game, 20-30, 279, two touchdowns, no interceptions, good for a 91-9 QBR. Trask, on the other hand, kind of an average game, 21-33, 257, also two touchdowns and no interceptions, but just a 54.9 QBR. Um, Florida could not really get the running game going, 19 attempts for just 21 yards, just barely over one yard a carry. The big difference, though, was third downs. Georgia, 12 of 18, so 67%. Florida just two of nine, so 22% for Florida, 67% for Georgia. That was, um, especially early in the game, the big difference in the game for Georgia. Fromm was Mr. Clutch whenever it came to third down. I think they were running a statistic about his percentage of completion, and that's what you want to see from these sort of quarterbacks, especially somebody like Fromm who's going to be playing on Sundays. Can they perform in these big moments? So, you know, they're playing a a top-ranked team, and they have some critical moments here. And in those critical moments, Fromm proved that he could make the plays necessary to keep his team on the field offensively and start taking away at the clock. Very good, complete win for Kirby Smart and for the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, I have some family that are Georgia Bulldogs fans, so I know they were celebrating that victory along with other people. Georgia, they were the favorite, and the reason why they were the favorite, even though they were uh, ranked lower is likely due to that that loss that they suffered at the hands of South Carolina uh, a few weeks ago. But I think if they if they could keep this intensity up, um, I can see them being like one of the first two out whenever they they do the CFP rankings at the end of the season. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. Um, saw something going out there. Um, Rick Flair, I think he's a, an alumni of Georgia, is wondering why Georgia's ranked below Penn State. He must have missed that uh, Georgia was upset by South Carolina a few weeks ago, unranked South Carolina, mind you that. And while Penn State is clearly undefeated still, so he must have missed that game. So that's clearly why Penn State is ranked higher. But yeah, Georgia, will, I'm guessing, will be the highest ranked team 
um, one loss ranked team as the college football playoff results are revealed here shortly. The basketball game just ended, so the rankings should be coming up here very soon. Obviously, we'll get to those a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, one last game, Caleb, to, to recap regarding upsets. College game day visited SMU, or I'm sorry, visited Memphis. Uh, and this was a big game for Memphis. And I'm, I'm pretty sure first time college game day was there, Caleb? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and the coach said going into this game, what he needed from the crowd was, was their energy, their energy to fill that stadium and to support the Memphis Tigers. Uh, and, and the audience certainly, or the viewers, uh, everybody in that stadium was definitely helping out Memphis as they are able to win a shootout over the undefeated SMU, a team that was debilitated after they suffered the death penalty of NCAA football, where their college football program got canceled. What was that back in like the 80s, 80s early yeah. 80s? And so they, they've been rebuilding over decades. Um, ranked number 15. They lose 54-48 to Memphis. Shane Bouchelle, the SMU quarterback, transfer from Texas, came in and actually played a good game. He had an 81.7 QBR. He threw for 456 yards. Let me say that one more time. 456 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, James Proch, the SMU wide receiver, the main the main guy, 13 receptions, 149 yards and a touchdown, but he does get injured in the game. You have to wonder what kind of an effect that had overall. Antonio Gibson, the or a player from Memphis, uh, running back gets or is he running back or wide receiver? I think he's a receiver. You know? Yeah. Okay. Three rushes, ninety-seven yards, uh, and a touchdown, and then he also gets six receptions, hundred thirty yards, and a touchdown, and a kickoff return for a touchdown. So three total touchdowns. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Caleb, you have an, an interesting note here about Kenneth Gainwell and his 88 yards and the touchdown rush. What's your What are your thoughts about him regarding the Heisman conversation? Yeah, he's a, a redshirt freshman. He got him a couple games last year, so a freshman this year. He's already got over 1,000 yards rushing this year and about 500 yards receiving, so 1,500 total yards. As a freshman, he was the first guy in a real long time he played on when he played Tulane a few weeks ago to have 200 yards receiving and 100 yards rushing in the same game. So he is getting it done through the air and on the ground. Yeah, as a as a as a freshman, so he's doing it. And as we, um, as you see here, both these teams are ranked from the American Athletic Conference. Cincinnati, who we'll get to a little bit later, they're also ranked. UCF, who is actually unranked right now, but we know how good they are. And I think Navy just earned a ranking too. They all have a one conf- one loss. I think UCF has two, one of them being a non-conference loss. So the American Athletic Conference is definitely a good conference. If there was a top of the power, or sorry, group of five conferences, they would clearly be the number one conference there as they have five teams that are maybe in the top 25 to 30 in the nation. Yeah, so you know, overall it's a it's a great win for Memphis, great program win. Disappointing loss for SMU. We'll see how far they drop in the polls uh, once the college football playoff committee starts to announce uh, their playoff rankings. Hopefully not too far. It it is fun to see a program like this start to rise again. Uh, just because it it adds a new name to the conversation. Um, so, you know, overall some really good upsets in college football this weekend. How about in the Big 10, Caleb? Yep. The only, I think, ranked team that played this weekend in the Big Ten was Michigan as they cruised over Maryland 38-7. to 
Another okay performance from Shea Patterson, 13 of 22, 151 and a touchdown, 72 QBR. So the QBR liked him this week. Haskins and Charbonnet, the two Michigan running backs combined for three rushing touchdowns. Josh Jackson, on the other hand, quarterback from Maryland, nine for 20, 97 yards, no touchdowns, one interception and a sub 10 QBR. The roulette of quarterbacks at Maryland is just seems to be getting worse as the season is progressing. Yeah, Maryland is is struggling big time. They started off the season, and we were talking so highly about them, thinking that they were back. They are very obviously not. Josh Jackson coming back from an injury, and yeah, that 9.4 QBR. I mean, we've talked about some low QBRs, and and this is certainly one of the lowest. Uh, It's not like the 1 point whatever or the 2.4s, but... It's just it's unacceptable in, in, in a collegiate program for a quarterback to perform like that and be able to start whenever you have a high quality team. So you got to think Loxley is disappointed with the with the team in Maryland. Uh, some interesting thoughts here too. You know, you had mentioned it earlier. Is it possible that this could be Jim Harbaugh's last season in Michigan? I personally think people are giving him way too tough of a time, and uh, I think Harbaugh's a good coach. But this is a good win for Harbaugh too to make sure he can establish that. Now, when will these wins start to translate on a regular basis? That way they aren't beating uh, ranked programs. No offense, but that way they aren't beating ranked opponents like Notre Dame. But that where they can consistently on the road beat some of the big teams. That's that's the big hiccup there. Uh, Haskins and Charbonnet is the running back one-two punch for Michigan are absolutely fascinating to to read about watch Haskins the more dynamic between the two backs and I'm still not sold on Shea Patterson I'm wondering if like how would Jim Harbaugh had done with a guy like Denard Robinson on his team or a more dynamic electrifying quarterback we saw what Harbaugh did with Colin Kaepernick whenever he was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers we saw what he did with Andrew Luck who was more dynamic at Stanford if he if he gets one of those dynamic playmakers under center I have a feeling we're having a whole different conversation about Harbaugh. Yeah, for sure. Next game here, and uh, and again on a rather late Big Twelve, Big Ten schedule this this past weekend. Purdue beating Nebraska thirty-one twenty-seven. Nebraska officially eliminated from making it to the Big Ten conference championship game. So. From at least from an outsider's perspective, a disappointing season from Nebraska. Adrian Martinez for Nebraska had a had a solid game, 247 yards, but no touchdowns and interception, 54.2 QBR. He did more of his damage on the ground, 12 attempts, 58 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Jack Plummer for Purdue, slightly better. 242 with two touchdowns, two interceptions, 61.3 QBR. A good uh, good rebound win from Purdue as they've been struggling a little bit lately, especially with all the injuries that they've had. Brom had to have been happy with the Boilermakers after this game. If you're Nebraska, you, you have to be feeling disappointed. You go into the season ranked, and maybe this is an argument to get rid of these preseason rankings and let the guys play a couple weeks first um, because we've seen a lot of these teams, and, and it's every year that we see this. Some teams that are supposed to be these really phenomenal teams just fall apart, and you're you're questioning why they were ranked in the first place. Um and Nebraska's definitely in in that category. Scott Frost cannot be happy with what he is seeing from the Cornhuskers. He must be seeking more out of that team. Um, you'd like to think Martinez is the answer, and certainly at points he shows these flashes of being a dynamic playmaker. 
but they they struggle and they they struggle to put it all together into a cohesive offense, a cohesive defense, a cohesive team, and being able to shut down their opponents. You're right; it, it has to be disappointing for them. Um, not going to be shocked if we pretty soon start talking about what's going to happen since they don't have a bowl game. Yeah, for sure. Next game we got here, Illinois continuing their role. Third straight game went over. Wisconsin has definitely propelled them. This time they beat Rutgers 38-10. to It's actually a season-high 10 points for Rutgers in a conference game, so maybe looking a little bit up for Rutgers. These teams combined for 95 rushing attempts while only 21 pass attempts. It's definitely a game on the ground. I don't think it was raining like it was the week before in Illinois when they ran the ball effectively again. So maybe Illinois is just turning into one of these triple option teams or something, Georgia Tech, Navy, Army, that just run the ball all over the place. Yeah, if it serves them well, good for good for the Illini defeating the New Jersey area high school football team. Yep. Final game we got here, Indiana shutting down, struggling Northwestern 34-3. Um, we talked about Nebraska being disappointing. Northwestern is even more disappointing. I think they were ranked the first week of the season, too, when they lost to Stanford. And they didn't even lose to Stanford, I don't think, by that much. Maybe by... It was close. Yeah. I think they uh, shut down Stanford's offense. Stanford has been a, rather a disappointment, too. They've had some injuries at quarterback, so... There's maybe a little bit more excusable than Northwestern's. On the other hand, though, Indiana is now 7-2. and two. They have a bye week this week. There's a decent chance they may be ranked when they play Penn State the following week. So another possible ranked opponent for Penn State to play. A tougher game than probably initially anticipated when we looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year or even, you know, four or five weeks ago. Yeah, I was talking to a parent. I was having a, a parent-teacher conference, and uh, the dad was wearing an Indiana jacket, and I made the, the offhand remark that uh, I like to go to those games because I, I typically know Penn State's going to win them. But uh, And I still think they'll beat Indiana this year too. But it is exciting to see another Big Ten team potentially get ranked and add to our add to our resume. Look at all these ranked teams that we've defeated. Look at how tough the Big Ten conference is. Um, Caleb, I'm at a loss for Fitzgerald. Maybe he does need to go. Before I made the argument about Northwestern being a smaller school, but they still get the same number of scholarships as everybody else. And a school like Northwestern has a really good academic reputation. So if you want a good college degree, you know, it's not like you're you're gonna say no to that to Northwestern typically. So maybe Northwestern needs to to move on from Fitzgerald, which makes me sad. I really like Pat Fitzgerald a lot. I think he's a good guy, has some great integrity. Um, yeah, so too bad. There, quick before we get to these other games, the rankings are coming in. Minnesota is all the way down at seventeen. Surprised by that? I think that's got to be disappointing for Minnesota. I'm disappointed by that, too. There are some teams that, that we're going to start to see coming out ahead of them and uh, just look at and kind of scratch our heads about, but they aren't too, too far ahead of like a school like Memphis, who, again, Memphis had a great win over SMU, but I would consider Minnesota um, a lot more, uh, maybe a lot more prestigious in the eyes of the committee. That being said, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised whenever Minnesota is playing teams like South Dakota State, which is a phenomenal FCS team, but not exactly what I would consider a juggernaut of an FBS. Uh, going to double overtime against Fresno State, only beating Georgia Southern by three points earlier in the season. So, again, maybe I shouldn't be too, too surprised that they're ranked that low. Um, but I, I am kind of bummed because that messes with Penn State's resume. 
and we're getting ready to to pretty soon see the uh the top five announced as well yeah i mean the committee has definitely shown that they will rank teams lower depending on how many losses you have if you don't play a good resume and we'll get into that more but yes uh, disappointing that minnesota down that low now it almost turns into question if minnesota somehow runs the table goes 13 and 0 and wins the big 10 i don't even know if they'd be necessarily guaranteed a spot in the playoffs starting all the way down at number 17 i think it depends yeah i think it depends on who they win against in that championship if they're defeating a, a highly ranked team in the big 10 conference championship then i think they they get in but the likelihood of Minnesota running the table and then playing somebody of high caliber in the conference championship, yeah, I'm not too sure about. So we'll see what ends up happening there. Yeah. All right, as we wait for the committee to reveal the top six teams, we'll get into some of the other action around college football this weekend. First up, we got number seven, Oregon, rolling past USC 56-24. It was a slow start for Oregon. They trailed 10 nothing. And in fact, they trailed 10 to 7 with three minutes to go before halftime, but then led 28 17 at half. They scored, then Slovis threw a pick six, let USC score, but then Oregon scored on the ensuing kickoff. So, a pretty crazy last three minutes of the half there that led Oregon to their rather easy win at the end. Slovis, 264 yards, three touchdowns, but three interceptions. So, as we, it's been a while since we talked about USC, but Slovis was turning the ball over a little bit too much for our liking back when we were talking about him about a month ago. He still is. It seems like Herbert had a solid game on the other hand, two, 225 yards, three passing touchdowns, one interception. Also had a rushing touchdown, good for an 86.2 QBR. It seems like Herbert is a um, solid game overall from him. Yeah, and I'll talk about that in a second, but sorry, my jaw just hit the floor because, again, we're watching the college football playoffs ranking happen live, and as we're watching it, we see Georgia come in at six, Clemson come in at five, which means Penn State is currently ranked number four in the country. Oh, Holy yeah. cow, that is awesome, and so we're going to – we'll talk about that in more depth later, but that is a – that's great news for the program, Caleb. Yeah, seeing – I think is this our first time in the top four in a playoff ranking? First time, so this is a this is huge for us. And uh, you know what else was huge? You're you're right. That win for Oregon that was a that was a big deal for them. Slavis arguably having the the worst game of his very young career at USC. Uh, Herbert, the way the numbers that he's been putting up recently and the way that he's been performing in a pro style offense. He is he is looking like uh, like a first round quarterback, like one of those future big time talents. So uh, it's exciting to to see what ends up happening, and uh, we'll see what his Sundays look like in the future. Yep. Uh, next game here, another Pac twelve uh, showdown. Number nine Utah coming back to beat Washington. Was that two straight weeks now for Washington blowing a lead? They did it against Oregon recently. Now against Utah. Utah trailed 14-3 in this game. The turning point was a pick six thrown by um, by Jacob Eason there. He had a he had an okay game overall. 316 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions, 48 QBR. Zach Moss, the standout Utah running back, had 27 rushes for 100 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Added another touchdown through the air on 40, 41 re- receiving yards. Um, disappointing year for Washington as we again talk about disappointing teams they are ranked up what top 10 15 at the start of the season 
Yeah, and whenever we've watched Washington play in some of these big games, they've been able to show up. And, you know, they showed up in this game too. But the the difficulty with that conference playing out on the West Coast and really nobody watching them is that we really don't fully comprehend which teams in that conference are really, really good and which ones are the have-nots. And so sometimes these rankings are a little artificially inflated. Uh, And Washington is a team that can come in and beat a top-ranked team one week and then lose to – you know, a school that you've never heard of the next. It's it's just a very up and down sort of program in that regard. And that's what you you get whenever you're one of these smaller schools. Um, big win for Utah as they continue to climb and climb. They're number eight in the college football playoff rankings. And so uh, I think this might be the highest they've been ranked since uh, they crushed Matthew Stafford in Georgia in the Sugar Bowl a long time ago. Yeah, definitely. Interesting. Here in the next game, we got number 16, Notre Dame, escaping with a win over Virginia Tech, 21-20. to Ian Book did not have a great game, 336 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions, 64.3 QBR. But he did redeem himself with a game-winning rushing touchdown with about 29 seconds to go. Quincy Patterson, the Virginia Tech quarterback, played even worse, though. 9 for 28, 139 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. 28.9 QBR. Notre Dame just barely hanging on by the skin of their teeth in this one. Yeah, but if you had watched the fans at the end of the game and you've, you'd watched the team celebrating, you'd think that they just won the Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of bothers me whenever a team that is supposed to win a game and they just barely eke it out all of a sudden act like they're the big shots. Like, hey, pump your brakes here and, and take a big chill pill because this is a game that honestly, uh, if you are if you are number 16 Notre Dame and you're playing a team like Virginia Tech, which is filled with disappointment over the last two seasons, uh, if you only win by a point there, I would I'd maybe not be so thrilled about that. That would be that would be like, you know, to use an example, that would be like Ohio State, who's ranked number one, uh, kind of eking in and and defeating a team like Rutgers by a point like yeah I'm not I'm not in love with the with the image that that sends especially with sportsmanship mm-hmm. as well uh, Quincy Patterson just showing that Virginia Tech has a lot of struggles offensively especially with finding a quarterback you know Josh Jackson former quarterback from Virginia Tech transfers to Maryland but even at Virginia Tech he wasn't doing too much and and the struggles will continue in Blacksburg for the for the Hokies yeah, for sure. Next game we got here, I mentioned them a little bit earlier. Number 17, Cincinnati, also escaping East Carolina, 46-43. East Carolina hit a game-tying field goal, 27-yarder with a minute 10 to go. But Cincinnati drove down the field, got to a 32-yard field goal chance to win it, and they made it right at the buzzer. Um, good for Cincinnati to keep that up. They were pretty clearly outplayed, though, in this game. East Carolina had about 650 total yards of offense, 43 points. So Cincinnati's definitely got to work on their defense coming out of this game. Yeah, definitely struggling if you if you can't beat East Carolina in, in this sort of a game, or if you can just barely beat them, I should say. Um, there are, the Bearcats seem to seem to be struggling to find some sort of a, a major identity. It was really exciting whenever Brian Kelly was their coach years ago. Uh, to see the sort of team that they were able to put together as being the perpetual underdogs now that they are ranked and, and now that they play pretty consistently okay 
football, I think they're kind of settling into some some complacency. And uh, what I would like to see from them is for them to make some sort of a big statement win against a team of a more challenging schedule. And that's something they may not be able to do this year. That may be something that their athletic director is going to have to schedule in early to a season, either next year or the following. But I think it's important to have those sort of games that, that kind of galvanizes a unit together and uh, and helps them push forward. Now, Caleb, I want to look at the Boston College game. Boston College, another one of those teams that just seems to be struggling and struggling, but they are able to pull off a win, and they are able to defeat Syracuse. Syracuse, you know, I, I just feel like this is the uh, this is the podcast of disappointment. Syracuse also having a disappointing season after having been ranked. Uh, really just falling apart this year. Boston College runs over Syracuse 58-27. to uh, Boston College, and whenever we say run, we mean literally run almost 500 yards and five touchdowns on the ground, 7.6 yards a carry. So they ran the ball 65 times. A.J. Dillon, 35 attempts for 242 yards and three touchdowns. And David Bailey with 16 rushes, 172 yards, and two touchdowns. Is Boston College following the Navy plan too, Caleb? Yeah, they must be, or at least they followed Maryland's plan because I'm pretty sure Maryland ran all over Syracuse too when they put up about mm-hmm. 50 to 60 points on Syracuse also. Yeah, the ACC has had a pretty disappointing season, and it continues here as we saw Clemson being ranked number five in the initial playoff rankings. To have two guys run for 170 yards against you, each putting up multiple touchdowns. A.J. Dillon actually lowered their the team um, attempt average 35 for 242 is under 7.6, but uh can't fault him as he ran the ball 35 times in a game. David Bailey bringing it up with over 10 yards of carry. But yeah, this is a, um, a solid win for Boston college. They got beat by Kansas a couple weeks ago. That was, must be disappointing. Um, but um, good rebound win here for them. Finally here, we move on to FCS. Dartmouth remains undefeated. I think they're now seven and zero with a win over Harvard, nine to six. But they needed a little dramatics in order to do it, as Derek Kyler threw a forty-three yard hail mary touchdown to Masaki Ertz to win the game as time expired. Kyler had to kind of do some zigzagging around get out of a sack there against Harvard low scoring game as as we saw so 6-3 going before that so only field goals going into, into the final play of the game so um congratulations to Dartmouth and staying undefeated and uh in the in the um in the battle of the smart schools yeah in the battle of the smart schools and it's funny if you watch the replay even the cameraman kind of lost where the ball was going on the mm-hmm. throw and then so it's just it's just randomly looking up into the sky and then fortunately another camera angle caught it it bounces off a couple guys hands and then uh, and then Ertz catches the ball and uh, and the crowd goes wild so yeah big win for them yep. all right Caleb, you ready to talk some Penn State get to it me too. So this Saturday at noon, because they were unsuccessful to get game day, Minnesota will be competing against Penn State at Minnesota. Uh, Penn State is 9-5 and five all time against Minnesota. And in 2016, they won 29-26. to And that was kind of a win that really started to propel Penn State's season forward. That was the year of Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley and making that incredible run that ended with a, with a devastating Rose Bowl loss. 
Minnesota is 8-0 this year, 5-0 on the conference, and they continue to improve. As we pointed out, their coach just got a 7-year contract extension. They have 21 touchdowns on the ground this year compared to Penn State's 19, uh, and their quarterback with 18 touchdowns and 4 interceptions. They're scoring or they're earning more yards than Penn State on average, and they're giving up less yards than average by Penn State or compared to Penn State as well this season, I believe. That being said, Minnesota's uh, Minnesota's difficulty of schedule a little different. And actually, I want to correct that Minnesota's giving up three more yards than Penn State per season or per game. But I would argue again, Penn State has the tougher of the schedules here. Uh, Caleb, some of your initial thoughts as we get ready for this game? Yeah, this is definitely one we didn't think would be a big game going into the season, but good for Minnesota to get to 8-0 on the year. Good for P.J. Fleck and his contract extension. Yeah, if we're, we're looking over the schedule here, and, and what's their best win? They beat Illinois, who beat Wisconsin, but Illinois wasn't really any good before their Wisconsin win. Purdue by a touchdown. Uh, Georgia Southern, as we saw, just beat Appalachian State, but Minnesota only beat them by a field goal. I mean, yeah, South Dakota State, as you mentioned, is a good FCS program, but not really. Obviously, they're not at the FBS level. They have, I think, got some top 25 votes here and there from time to time, depending on how good the FBS, the rest of the FBS is doing. But even still, that's a maybe a top 30 team in the whole country. So I if they pull off the win here against Penn State and they are underdogs at home, this would clearly be their best win of the season. No no questions about it. Not even close. Yeah, this has all the feelings of like a Pop Warner team that wins their league championship going up against like a high school football team who has won their like conference title. Uh, I, I just think the, the differences between the levels of difficulty of the schedules are, are drastically dynamic. Penn State has played some huge ranked games on the road. Uh, played a lot of night games, a lot of intense sort of atmospheric games, and they've been able to to pull off those wins impressively by playing complete football. My question, though, is can Penn State keep this firepower going, especially the last couple games? You know, we've seen uh, games where Penn State started really hot and then fizzled out the second half. We've seen the seasons where Penn State was a second-half team. But recently what we've been seeing in the last few weeks is a team that throws up a ton of points in the first quarter and then throws up a few more in the fourth. But it leaves us with the second, third, and the first part of the fourth quarter of us just scratching our heads wondering if the offense went out to lunch. Caleb, what do we need to do so that we can so we can keep this firepower going for all four quarters? Yeah, I mean, obviously you have to start fast if you want to score in all four quarters. So getting off to the fast start is clearly the best, the best solution here. Um, again, looking at Minnesota's schedule, they have definitely, though, played better in recent weeks. Their first four games, they won by 7, 3, 3, and 7. But since then, mm-hmm. 23, 27, 35, and 42. So even though they're playing Maryland and Rutgers recently, they're getting better. They're blowing out teams that they should blow out if you want to be a ranked team. Clearly, the committee is skeptical of them not even being ranked in the top 15. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, you got to start early. And I think that if you want to keep scoring into the second, third, early part of the fourth quarter, it's got to start with Ricky Ronnie and the pat and the uh, selection, the the play selection. Yeah, Ricky Ronnie needs to. I I think recently we've been seeing some better early play calls of of some less RPOs and letting 
letting Sean Clifford make some more critical throws, uh, some deeper shots, but then all of a sudden we get this really conservative play calling. You know, you, once you put your foot on the gas, don't let it off, man. Just keep on rolling with it. Let's let's not be you know upset by being up you know thirty or forty points in a game. Let's. Keep rolling, keep rolling. Brent Price doing a great job of that defense, but people want to criticize the way that the defense is performing down the stretch. Well, if you're on the field as much as our defense is during these games, I'm feeling pretty exhausted too. Uh, I'm really hopeful that, that we can get the run game firmly established. I'm hoping that Noah Kane has an increased role. I, I still think he is our best back, and I think he is being extremely underutilized right now. I'd like to see him getting more touches throughout each quarter, maybe not so much transitioning between drives. Ricky Slade, I'm just not sold on. He had one big run this season, but overall this season he's been he's been a letdown for me. Devin Ford, I like him a lot, but I haven't seen too much out of him in a long time. And Journey Brown is, is probably the only other person I'd put there with Kane, but even then I'd say Kane is a stronger back who falls forward. I think asserting a really strong run game is going to be vital here. I think Kane's the way to do it. I heard some people call him uh, the Gain train, and, and I like to think of him as, yes, we Kane. So uh, I'm hoping Noah gets gets more touches as we head into this game. Yeah. One last thing I'm looking at here. Um, Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan has only been sacked 16 times this year in the eight games, so only two per game. But he has 117 sack yards lost. So that's about seven yards lost per sack. So those are big time sacks. So if he does take a sack, they're really important. They can really kind of kill a drive. You know, that that means first and 10 turns into second and 17. And second and 17, that makes it that much harder to get a first down. So... We may not be able to get too many sack opportunities, but when you do, you got to take advantage of them because they, they're going to be big ones and probably drive killers for Minnesota. Yeah, we need Shaka Tony and, and Yishwar Gross-Matos to show up big time, getting a lot of that pressure. Antonio Shelton is suspended this game, mm-hmm. one of our starting defensive tackles, uh, suspended for some unsportsmanlike behavior. And he's come out and apologized to the team for it, but you know, we're going to need couple other players to step up Windsor who had an awesome game against Iowa earlier this season is going to be a guy that's going to come in and fit into that role really well um Caleb I'm losing my my brain right now on who the other guy is um but I think overall we need that offense or sorry we need that defensive line to get a lot of pressure early on we need to keep Mm -hmm. that quarterback on his feet running 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 and Judging by the sack average, I'm guessing they probably take a lot of snaps out of the shotgun and then taking like a three-step drop, that'll set you back away. So we need to be able to – we need solid coverage by our corners so that we have enough time for our defense alignment to get there and hit them. I think Terry Castro Field and John Reed can uh, – hopefully coming off this bye week can reset themselves after a couple disappointing, frustrating games. And – uh yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very optimistic about this game. I don't think it's going to be as close as, uh, as the money line is for it. Yeah, one last thing I wanted to bring up, the weather. I think in Minneapolis on Saturday, the high is 38 degrees, a slight chance of rain. So uh, it's definitely going to be cold. Um, Minnesota is uh, in the central time zone, so it'll be an 11 a.m. local kickoff. So it will be getting up to 30 and I'm guessing towards the end of the game but at the beginning of the game it'll probably be low 30s upper 20s so the weather will be slightly a bit of a factor just the cold no no rain or snow or anything like that but something to keep in mind 
Yeah, and, and remember, Penn State players, cold is a mindset. Feel warm and you will be warm. Uh, okay, so Caleb, you know, we, we were freaking out, or rather, let me rephrase that. I was freaking out earlier whenever we looked at the college football player rankings. I just want to give a quick recap. In our first ever show, we started to – or we started by, by looking at who do we think is going to be in the college football playoffs. And I said that I believed Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and and Oregon were going to be the four teams. Uh, Caleb, you believed that Alabama, Clemson, Washington, and Texas were going to be the four teams. The committee just gave their first rankings, and we know that we're going to see one change for sure next week because Bama and LSU play each other. Uh, we're probably and we're going to be seeing another change whenever Penn State and Ohio State play each other. But we have number four. The Penn State Nittany Lions are, like you said, to our first college football playoff ranking. Number three, Alabama. Number two, LSU. And number one, Ohio State. Kel, I think we're both a little surprised by number four and the fact that we're getting respect and Clemson's on the outside. But of these, of the top three, so we'll leave Penn State out of this, which of these ranks surprises you the most? Um. I'd say a little bit Ohio State being number one over LSU. I think we've been saying it most of the year that Ohio State has been playing the best of any of the undefeated teams. Obviously, that means of any team in the nation. But we thought maybe LSU's resume would push them ahead to number one. It does kind of cool uh, create a cool dichotomy then as it looks like number one versus number four, Ohio State-Penn State conference matchup. Number two versus number three, LSU versus Alabama, another conference matchup. So the other three conferences can't be feeling good about themselves right now. Obviously, those four teams, they play each other, one this week, one in a couple weeks. So that probably won't stay the same. You probably won't see two teams getting, or two conferences getting two teams in each, but definitely can't feel good if you're the Pac-12, Big 12, or the ACC. Yeah, and, and I was thinking about how interesting it is that just two conferences are in there, the Big Ten and the SEC, who I think you and I would, would probably argue are the two best conferences currently in college football uh, whenever it comes to overall depth within the conferences. And uh, I'm really excited because, again, if, if you go back and listen to our first show and the thoughts that we had on Penn State, we were hopeful but no way were we thinking that this was in the realm of possibility. The fact that we could be in the first college football playoff ranking of the season. This is a huge deal for Penn State. Um, I think my biggest surprise, though, is Alabama being number three. And uh, I guess whenever I look at the other teams, I shouldn't be too, too shocked. But I guess I just assume that the college football playoff committee has such a high opinion of Alabama and their history of success under Nick Saban that they throw them in at, at two or even at one and it's not that i think they deserve to be there i think three is a good place for them but uh i I expected them to be ranked a little bit higher than what they're at excited for joe burrow former ohio state quarterback being ranked number two in the country at lsu he is your heisman pick and my heisman pick for this season and uh yeah the buckeyes justin fields i i still don't think there's anybody playing better football than the buckeyes which hurts me to say um, hopefully that will change whenever they, they meet the Nittany Lions. Yeah, I was, as I was scrolling through t- Twitter earlier today, I did see something. It was um, the best win-loss percentage of the teams 
of of the opponents of, of all the top 10 teams or something like that. And Penn State was considerably higher than both Alabama and Clemson. So s- some people were pointing out like maybe Penn State will be ranked number four or even maybe number three, depending on how they felt about Alabama. Also, clearly the committee doesn't like Clemson's schedule so far this year. Uh, they did beat Texas A&M, who was ranked at the time, but no longer is. I don't think I don't think they were ranked in the top twenty-five. They have a few other losses. Texas A&M though probably has the toughest schedule on planet Earth this year. So, and then um, ESPN did put up the strength of schedule ranking, which you know has a million different factors in it. And Penn State was in the forties. Clemson was in the sixties. So that obviously was another edge to Penn State. Mm-hmm. And then the ESPN strength of reg- strength of record. Uh, component they said Penn State was ranked number two in that which basically means of the all the top 25 teams if you average them out how difficult was it to get for Penn for Penn State to get to eight no and they think that it was the second most impressive schedule so far if you look at um, ESPN's metrics so maybe once you go digging into the numbers and not just look at a reputation as Clemson's coming off the national championship, big win over Alabama last year. If you just look at the numbers this year and this year only Penn state probably deserves to be number four ahead of Clemson. I would agree with you completely. And I think that Clemson this season with Trevor Lawrence, especially, you know, whenever we did watch that national championship game last year, I felt like I I could not think of a team that could stop Clemson. Uh, I couldn't think of a team that could stop Trevor Lawrence, but this season, yeah, I feel pretty confident. Dare I say it? I feel pretty confident that our team could take on Clemson and perform well against them. And it looks like the playoff committee does as well. So really excited for the Nittany Lions. Hopefully we can, we can hold on to this. Uh, I think if we beat Minnesota, we're at least guaranteed to move up one spot, if not two in the rankings. Well, probably just one spot yeah. because uh, the Bama, the Bama or LSU person is going to be number two, but it's exciting. You know, I'm I'm very excited for for what we are in store for, uh, with the remainder of the season, with the ups and the downs that are that are going to come our way. Yep. Uh, last thing I have to say here is kind of about college basketball too. The rankings this week were in between the opening night for college basketball, and the top four teams are all playing each other tonight. Three versus four just happened. Duke beat um, Kansas, I think it was, and now we got Kentucky versus Michigan State, the top two teams. So it's kind of cool how college basketball can kind of have this thing, and I'm not blaming you know the top teams for not scheduling top the tough opponents because – if you lose that game, that makes it that much harder for you to make the playoff. And in college football, every game matters. Whereas in college basketball, 68 teams make the tournament. So you can win, you can lose a few games here and there and still make it into the tournament. But it is kind of a shame that college football can't have something like this where, you know, you have two of the, it doesn't necessarily have to be all four of the top four teams playing each other opening weekend. But if you had, you know, two top 10 or top 15 matchups each opening weekend for college football to get the hype built up for the season, upcoming season, it would be nice to see something like that. But with the way the playoff structure is right now, I'm not sure we're going to see anything ever like that. Yeah, I think that there needs to be more credit whenever you lose those sort of big games too. Like I think the – personally, I feel like the loser of LSU and Bama, if you're number two and number three playing each other – uh, if I really don't feel like either of those two teams should fall out of the out of the rankings as long as it's a tight game because I think that that says a lot about the program. But I think you and I both know that the loser of this game is probably dropping to five, if not six, maybe even seven, depending on the results of it. Also, I think this is the perfect opportunity 
for the college football playing committee and for the NCAA to look at expanding the playoffs. I like the idea of going to six or eight teams. I mean, I even like the idea, and, and we've discussed this too, of every Power Five conference champion getting a berth in the playoffs and then like two or three uh, at-large sort of berths as well or wild cards. That way we can get more teams in this and we get a better feel about the landscape of college football whenever we get to the playoffs. It would take a lot of time, but you know, if you're the NCAA and you're trying to milk this money train, especially before you have to start paying for player likenesses, this just seems like an easy way to accommodate for that. Maybe that's just me though. No, I just saw ESPN ran a poll that they announced today and uh, James Franklin was on your side. They, I think they pulled about 60 college coaches and uh, just about half of them were in favor of expanding the playoff under half were and not in favor of expanding it. So that means a few are probably undecided in there. And yeah, mm-hmm. Penn State's head coach, James Franklin, was one of the few, one of the 30 or so in favor of expansion. So you're definitely not alone. About half the F- FBS uh, college coaches seem to be on your side as well. All right, good stuff. All right, Caleb, you ready for some picks? Yeah, it's time for who you got. Last week you crushed me five and two. I only went three and four. So that puts you at 43 wins on the year. I'm just one ahead of you now at 44. We've been mentioning it, and now it's time to get our picks on the game. The first time since 2011 that number one plays number two during the regular season. Number one, LSU at number two, Alabama. Alabama, six and a half point favorite at home. Phil, who you got? Well, you know, especially after these, uh, yeah, number one, number two in the AP, number two and number three in the playoff committee rankings. This is a huge matchup, and it's going to be a really exciting game. Uh, I'm really bummed I'm going to miss it because I'm going to be speaking at this conference. But I think Joe Burrow is going to prove this – this is going to be his his shining Heisman moment. I think LSU comes in and they win this game. They say it's a six-and-a-half-point spread with Alabama being the favorite. I see LSU winning this game by a field goal. Caleb, who you got? Yeah, I'm taking LSU too. Um, as we've said multiple times throughout the season, both these teams are now more focused on their offense than their defense. Both the defenses haven't been playing too great this year. Um, LSU, I think one of their – Top defensive lineman Divinity Jr. just uh, left the program for for personal reasons. I think it was he led the team with just three sacks or was tied for the team lead. So it goes to show that they don't really have a def- dominant defensive lineman. LSU is more known as a DBU though than defensive lineman U. But um, yeah, I think Joe Burrow's the better quarterback so far this year. Tua is coming back. Tua is coming back from an injury that um, we've seen him have before, this time on the other ankle with this kind of experimental procedure that has worked for him in the past, but I don't think he'll be 100% even though they had the bye week the week before. He didn't play the week before that, so he's had a couple weeks to recover. I just think LSU's the better team as as their ranking shows, number one in the AP poll, number two in the, in the college football playoff ranking, so I will take LSU. Yeah, and going into this season, I think you and I would, would both agree that again going into the season there were no better quarterbacks than Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence and now we're at a point where we we've kind of seen the rust on both of their sets of armor now looking at the Big 10 they have a top 25 matchup they have number 18 Iowa at number 16 Wisconsin Wisconsin is a is an eight and a half point favorite Caleb who you got 
Yeah, I'm taking Wisconsin. Eight and a half points seems a little big. I'll take the under on that one just because Wisconsin really hasn't played well since their upset loss against Illinois. They got crushed by Ohio State. I guess they were on a bye last week, you know, since we didn't talk about them earlier in the in the episode. But um, again, we're using the AP rankings here as the college football playoff rankings just came out, but they're about the same for both Wisconsin and Iowa here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, I will take Wisconsin to win this one at home. Phil, who you got? I got Wisconsin too. I'm pretty sure the Big Ten, looking at those rankings really quick, uh, I'm pretty sure they have the most teams in the top 25. And uh, I think that's a test, a testament to the conference. Caleb, you can you can double check me on that one. I think I counted six. I, I may have been looking at it wrong. Um, but I think Wisconsin comes away with this victory. It's an eight and a half point difference or that, that Wisconsin's favored by. I think they cover that spread simply because I don't trust Nate Stanley at quarterback for the Hawkeyes. I think he's a game manager. I think he works better in a in a run heavy sort of defense or excuse me, offense, but I think Wisconsin is up to is up to play that game against Iowa. They know it's going to be a tough game in general playing the Hawkeyes. So yeah, I pick Wisconsin in this game. Yeah, it looks like you were right. It looks like the SEC has five teams. All theirs may be ranked higher. LSU, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Auburn all ranked in the top 11, but they have no one after that. And you're right, Big Ten has six. Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan, Minnesota, and Iowa. I think uh, the AAC also has about five teams ranked, so I'm pretty impressed by them. Yeah. All right, next game here, another ranked team, number nine, Oklahoma, hosting Iowa State. They're a 14-point home favorite is Oklahoma. Phil, who you got? 